The easiest thing for me to grasp onto was to think about the relationship between a filmmaker and a subject, almost like a romantic relationship, in that to some degree, it's a conversation between two people who are trying to negotiate what power they have in their own lives and the power that they have over this other person. Hey, Sky. Hey, Jenny. Our guest today is a friend. She's somebody I look up to professionally. She's super active in video consortium. And she really has a unique perspective, I think, to bring to the podcast. Yes. Suki Madawi is an amazing human being and filmmaker and has been playing an integral role in the video consortium's expansion for the past couple of years now. Yeah, of course, she's a very talented documentary director and DP, but she also has herself been the subject of a documentary. She was a subject in the HBO doc series, The Vow. And she also has worked as a subject coordinator on the film Cusp, which was a Showtime documentary that followed a group of teen girls in rural Texas. And it sort of became this larger story about the normalization of sexual violence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously a lot of need for sensitivity around the subjects being minors and the subject matter of the film being what it is. Having her on the team was particularly integral to that project. Yeah, totally. And, you know, as this industry evolves and as the ethics come to the forefront, it has become pretty apparent that having someone be the middleman between the filmmakers and the people who they're filming, you know, is perhaps an integral role that I'm sure you guys talked about, like, should be part of every film crew, you know? Yeah. After hearing Suki talk about what a subject coordinator does, it seems like crazy that we don't have one on every film. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. It sure does. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was honestly just a really fascinating conversation. Uh, it goes a bit long, but I think it holds that time pretty well. It's long because it's a nuanced discussion, so it's merited. Yeah, you very know? nuanced. Um, yeah. Cool. And as a side note, you know, as, as we kick off the fall, just letting all of our listeners who happen to be VC members know that we have a lot of changes happening, good changes at the Video Consortium, and would encourage you to check out videoconsortium.org org for more and like in this podcast we welcome your feedback so you know you can email podcast at videoconsortium.org talk to jenny and me about more things that you want to hear email info at videoconsortium.org if you have questions about membership yeah. and uh yeah lots lots to look forward to so with that uh this is suki midawi and you're listening to rough cut excited to hear it here we go If you could just start by generally describing, and I know that you're not just a subject coordinator, so this conversation is going to veer into other areas, but for now, can you start by just describing what a subject coordinator does? Yeah. The, the big thing I like to think about is that a subject coordinator is a support system for the relationship between a documentary subject and the production team during the process of making a doc. Um, or someone who is working primarily to protect and support the well-being of participants during the process of being filmed. This is something that we normally think about as a part of the producer's job, a part of the director's job. Um, but I would argue, maybe to the chagrin of many in the field, that 
producers and directors sometimes are the last people who should be dealing with this mm. because their professional interest is primarily in protecting the needs of production, not the subjects. Mm -hmm. um, even though they care, it's not in their interest to be um, most concerned about someone's mental, emotional, physical health if it coincides with production needs. The sensitivity around which these issues, I think, need to be handled requires someone who is outside of the logistical nightmare that is documentary production, who is unencumbered by the financial or story repercussions of any subject's decisions. Because if not, the well-being of a subject is always and will always be secondary to the needs of the film. And that's super risky and can lead to really awful circumstances that I myself experienced. Mm. And I think the big roles that I've seen a subject coordinator be particularly useful for is as a consultant to help them figure out what is needed to make their show happen. And then with subjects around expectations for the project, um, I think they can sort of be this bridge between two groups of people who may have different interests. And in that way, it's like they can also act as an advocate for subject needs throughout the production process. So a subject who may feel like they really admire a director or feel like their time is sort of being taken advantage of, but they don't want to upset the team and they don't want to seem ungrateful for being recorded, which I've heard before, um, can go to this person and say like, hey, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed with filming. And then that subject coordinator can go to the team and figure out a way to make this process a bit more comfortable for the subject while still retaining the value of their presence in the film. Yeah, I mean, the more you talk about it, the more this position just makes so much sense. And this does feel like something that feels like a bit of a luxury for a, a production. But at the same time, you can make the case that your relationship with your subject is more important than pretty much anything else. I mean, the subject could pull the plug and then it's all over or, you know, they don't feel comfortable being vulnerable or it's just such a delicate thing. And it's kind of amazing that that this isn't more common. I was surprised too when I started talking about it mostly out of sheer rage and frustration i was like this isn't this isn't okay this should be talked about more because it doesn't seem very smart to have an industry that is primarily based on telling stories about people who are in vulnerable positions and it's entertainment and it's being sold as entertainment more so than ever and yet in films where it's a fictional story, the stars are praised and lauded and have agents and have an entire squad of people just making sure that they're okay. Whereas on this other side with the most vulnerable populations, you have people who just sort of are pushed to the dust as soon as a project is over and feel exploited and sad and sort of empty and this vacuum of support where there once was support only because they were telling their story to the camera and as soon as they do something that's against production's desires they're sort of discarded and thrown away and have no protections are so vulnerable that i started to think about how do you do this in a very real way to make it um, not just like a social justice issue, but also make it an issue around the economics because it is so risky to not do this. 
Like it is incredibly risky not to have a person advocating for subjects when so much of a film depends on their participation and the trust between them and a filmmaker. And I experienced it blowing up in my face in the most horrible way, which is why I'm such a strong advocate. But I think that it doesn't have to be black and white. It just needs to be considered. Yeah, absolutely. Can you talk about what happened that made you so inspired to change this? It's interesting because even in preparing for this, I was sort of afraid of the old emotions I had around this whole issue to come up. This is the first time I'm sort of talking about it in a very directed public way. So I was a director and a DP before I was called upon to be the subject of a documentary. And I became a subject for filmmakers while I was working for them as a cinematographer. So my roles would flip sometimes over the course of an hour where I would go from being behind the camera to in front of it and vice versa. Mm. I had the incredibly surreal experience of interviewing DPs to film me on behalf of the directors and had to sort of explain my trauma to them as if I was recounting some logline from a film festival directory. And it was requiring me to look at myself like an object, but for someone else's story. Um, it's like, don't try this at home unless you're willing to have your heart completely crushed by the knowledge that your pain is entertainment. And to say the least, when I became a subject, I was really messed up. I was a month out of leaving this really traumatizing situation and I was still working and traveling for shoots, but I was also going through super volatile mood swings, panic attacks, uh, I couldn't get out of bed for days, I had paranoia, suicidal ideation, um, basically I was just going through PTSD without knowing anything about PTSD and really not wanting to admit that I had experienced trauma because I felt like that would be weak. Mm -hmm. But it got really messy because I met these directors and ended up being both a subject and working for them on a slew of other projects for about three years, the biggest being a DP for one of their feature docs. And Again, I don't want to get into the specifics, but my Achilles heel through the process was coping with pain and chaos by doing things that were re-traumatizing to keep the adrenaline coming, but telling myself that I could handle it. So to be more specific, um, for about three to four years after my initial trauma, I was re-traumatizing myself by talking about the worst things that had happened to me over and over and over again but not to a therapist, but like to them as my therapist because the attention and support felt really good. Um, I had felt very ostracized from my community of friends after I went through this. And so the film crew very much became like my way of getting out all of the things that had happened. But again, because it was entertainment and I have to admit the attention did feel good, um, I think I pushed myself in ways that were very unhealthy because it wasn't it wasn't therapy it was entertainment and it wasn't safe because the things that i was saying which were basically recounting some of the worst experiences that had ever happened to me were being shown to complete strangers and i had to go through the process of witnessing um, I think I was at a party and some guy came up to me and was like man Suki you're such a good crier 
And I remember my stomach dropping and not knowing what he was talking about until I realized that there was a trailer that had been cut with a scene of me having an absolute breakdown that the director had shown to this person. And I hadn't given my consent, I didn't know. And it was just this sort of like realization that my pain was amusement in this moment. And there was nothing I could do to change that. And I realized that if I went above and beyond to essentially stay in my trauma, that it was a good thing for the film. Um, trying to rescue people from the traumatic situation, numbing my pain with drinking and drugs, and not processing my trauma, because if I did, it would mean that the shoots would end. And it meant that all of the perceived support and attention and adrenaline that I got from those experiences would go with it. So I think throwing myself back into trauma led to essentially what was like a pressure cooker, um, where I wasn't aware of how dangerously close I was to blowing up. And I don't think the filmmakers really understood it either. And I would say it, but there was no one really advocating for my needs except for myself. And because I was so, I was so like in shock and making really reckless decisions, I didn't really have a third party perspective outside of, you know, some friends of mine who were filmmakers who would voice their concerns and I would blow them off saying like, no, it's fine. They're like my family. The filmmakers love me. They care about me. They have my best interests at heart without realizing that like it is still show business and the show must go on. And if I was to decide that this was no longer healthy for me, it wasn't like I could just walk out. And I soon learned this when I realized that the situation was incredibly unhealthy for me. And in fact, I was being put into harmful situations for the film and for the needs of the directors, for the desires of the directors. And when I decided to leave the situation, I realized that because of releases, I couldn't just walk out. So I sort of had to accept being made anonymous, but then I started reflecting more and more about the way that I was treated and I got so angry that I tried to absolutely destroy the filmmakers and the show and then realized how much that would further bond me to this really painful, violent, traumatizing experience. And so I, I had to go through this really intense uh, forgiveness process and decided to let it go. But I still needed to find some way to turn my lessons into bettering the industry. I wanted to make things better for people who would be in my shoes but I didn't want to be a pain in someone's ass. I didn't want to be a thorn in someone's project, but I certainly wanted to create something that would allow the same thing that had happened to me to never happen again. Um, and I think that I would be speaking to you happily about the documentary that I was a part of if I had had the right support systems to lead me through this insane, messy, absurd experience of being a subject. It is truly one of the most unique and magical things when done right. And it is objectively and subjectively horrifying when done wrong. Um, and the biggest thing that I took away from this whole experience was one, I gained an incredible insight. There's so few filmmakers who actually know what it is like to walk in the shoes of their subjects. And I got that opportunity. As a director, it is invaluable. As a DP, it is so invaluable. And the biggest thing that I take with me into the productions that I take on now is the importance of having an advocate, a true ally during the course of production.
And I learned all of that through this experience. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I really want to thank you for being so brave and open. I mean, you said this, but you're in such a unique position being someone who not only is the subject of a documentary, but the subject of a documentary that centers around trauma. In a general sense, both from your experience as a subject and pulling from your experience in production, what do you often see that the documentary crew is doing wrong when it comes to dealing with their subjects or like what could they do better? Oh my God, it's such a good question. So I think there's a way to answer this that is very logistical. There's a way of answering this that is very emotional and one that is, I would say, sort of spiritual in nature. I'll start with the spiritual first because I think it, it has just a larger scope and gets more at the nature of the problem. Um, oftentimes, and I will say specifically with, with films that relate to trauma, I see trauma as chaos. And it is precisely the moment where most documentaries start filming or want to be filming in because it makes a really good story. Is this person going to make it? Are they going to take the pieces of their lives that have broken apart and put them back together? But being the vessel of chaos as the person experiencing a trauma, that chaos can feel like it will destroy you. And I think in a moment where everything feels like it's falling apart, or at least something specific is falling apart, a filmmaker can provide an incredible container to offer someone the opportunity to talk about the chaos, to explore the chaos in a way that feels healthy and allows them to move through the chaos rather than being stuck in it. And so, that order can come in the form of a really strong and consistent container. Like, we're going to be having this interview at this time. I will be there on time. We will meet you there. It's going to be an hour and a half. And when we're done, we're going to go out to dinner or drinks or you can go home. Like, that's very clear. Or I'm going to spend the next year with you. And at any time that you want to stop, we can stop. But this is what filming will look like. This is what you might experience. Here's someone who's a point person if it gets overwhelming you're creating a space and a time that is sacred in which the chaos can be experienced and in which it can then end and that person can have an opportunity to think outside of just being in it. So if you're going to ask someone to go to that place, the least you can do is provide order that will allow them to also get out of it once, once you're done. Mm -hmm. um, so that's like big picture, that's what filmmakers aren't doing that I'm seeing. And I think the specifics that filmmakers could do a lot better, a lot better with is one, just really getting informed consent. It seems so simple, but like I have seen so many subjects being filmed without their consent or informed consent because filmmakers just want to catch the moment and they think, what's the harm? But in that moment, you're making a decision that says, I know better than this person and that erodes trust. Um, and so I think one, just really getting on the same page with everyone on the team about like what consent means, what is informed consent. If someone thinks that they're being filmed for one thing and then you end up using it for something else, that's not informed consent. And you have to have a conversation with the subject about what that means. Um, subjects being pressured to film 
when they had explicitly said before that they don't want to be on camera. Basically, it's like coercion. And it's so hard because even though I knew the trick of coercion and I thought I was strong enough to say that I, I could put my foot down, in those moments, it's incredibly hard when a camera is on. And so coercion, I think, really has to stop. Another thing is subjects being filmed while under the influence. This was a huge one because this was something that happened um, with me. I think it's one thing to have fun with a subject because drinking and smoking weed, doing all of these things is sort of part of our normal culture. But if someone says that they don't want to film and then you have a few glasses of wine with them and then you ask them again and they say like, oh, well, maybe... There's something about it that I just want to say it feels kind of gross. And there were so many moments in which I was filmed when I was super stoned or I had had a few drinks and I was way looser with what I was saying than I would have been if not. I'm sure it made for a much more entertaining interview and it was a lot of fun. But then afterwards I woke up and felt really bad about myself. Um, it's one thing if someone just wants to be filmed and doesn't care if you film them when they're drinking or are doing drugs. That's, that's a whole other thing because you've gotten their consent before, but during it's just too messy. Um, subjects stating that they don't want to talk about something, but then having the question reframed in a lot of different ways to get at the same topic. W what does that do to trust? Um, this one is particularly tough because the nature of our job is in some ways to get at the soft parts under someone's armor. That is something that every filmmaker has to decide for themselves, but I think you have to be so honest with yourself. And having a subject coordinator to talk about those things with in an objective way is incredibly helpful. Subjects not being told the full conditions of their release forms or understanding how vulnerable they truly are after signing, that's a huge one. I think having much more transparent conversations around what a release is, rather than handing someone a piece of paper and be like, sign here, without recognizing that this piece of paper really does take away all of their rights. They should understand why it is that they're giving up their rights to you, and it should be based on trust and not some type of sort of like quick sign here so that you don't read too closely. And the last thing that I will say, subjects being moved like cattle <laughs> to any type of shooting location without communication of what is happening or why they're being filmed or what the questions will be. I say this because it happens so often that a subject is told very little about what is going on and they can't help but feel like they are chess pieces. Usually this happens because something has happened with production, like some unforeseen situation where you can't shoot in a particular location or you're late because of some other interview. All of these different things are understandable parts of a, a production in which you know more than the person you are interviewing. But what it feels like on the other side of the camera is that you are a cog in a machine and no one really cares to inform you what's going on. And there were so many situations in which I felt like I was a sheep. And all I wanted to know, I remember asking like, what do you want me to do? Why am I here? And not being given those answers frustrated me and made me feel like I couldn't trust the filmmakers. I didn't know what they were getting at and I, I didn't feel cared for or supported. Mm -hmm. So all of these scenarios are examples of this larger sort of spiritual, psychological, theoretical field 
of seeing a subject as a means to an end rather than a collaborator. And if filmmakers could really see subjects as story partners that are the heart of the story that they have to care for with every part of their being, I think that so many subjects' lives would be changed. Mm. But I think practices like what I've sort of illuminated can can really help with these relationships so that you don't experience an entire movie falling apart because your subject doesn't trust you anymore. Yeah. I feel like a lot of what you've just touched on, this sense of, you know, subjects or participants, they can sort of sense when the filmmaker is using them as a means to an end to kind of grasp at this one specific angle that they have in mind or this formula that they storyboarded in advance. Mm -hmm. And one piece of advice that you gave me was um, I was about to do a shoot that was trauma-based and was going to spend like a lot of time with with the subjects and I wasn't sure how comfortable they were on camera and I wasn't sure what, you know, what they were comfortable with showing me. And of course, as a filmmaker, I want them to be as vulnerable as they can be because that, as you said, is why we watch films. It's the best material. It's how we empathize with people as an audience. So I came to you and I asked how I should approach this with the subjects in advance. And you made a point of, One, like setting expectations with them, which is what you've talked about in this interview, but also giving them a sense of like agency and control because the filmmaker has so much more control. Can you talk a little bit about how control plays into this? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And I think the easiest thing for me to grasp onto, especially when I just left the project that I was working on and I was particularly angry and also very in shock and confused as to how something like this could happen. The easiest thing for me to grasp onto was to think about the relationship between a filmmaker and a subject, almost like a romantic relationship, in that to some degree it's a conversation between two people who are trying to negotiate like what power they have in their own lives and the power that they have over this other person. And so I think the the first thing that I would ask myself is like, how much control do you feel as a filmmaker that you have over this person's decisions and, and life and narrative in the filmmaking process? And then if you recognize that maybe there's an imbalance and you really feel like you have 100% control and that your subject doesn't have really any agency, you know, is that okay with you? Is that something that you want to change? Um, You sort of can think to yourself, how much power do you want to give them? And you offer that choice simply by having a conversation and saying, how much do you want to participate in the filmmaking process? Sometimes I think filmmakers don't even dare ask that question because they don't want to give that subject an impression that they have any agency or that they have that much agency. But I think I would challenge that asking the question allows for a conversation to happen in which you can very honestly tell a subject, yes, that is something that I can give you or no, that's not something that I can give you. And are you still okay with that? So I think basically just starting the conversation, but knowing knowing that you bringing it to the table doesn't have to mean you're committing to anything. It really is just like the beginning of a conversation. Yeah, I also just feel like when people feel like they have control or agency, they're actually more 
willing to be more vulnerable. Yes. One more thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap up. Let's say you do have the luxury of working with a subject coordinator. When is a good time to bring them into the process? And also, you know, all of these things we're saying in production could be great, but then the subject could be kind of like fucked over in the edit. Should the subject coordinator be part of post-production too? Yes, 100%. But I think at the very least, whether you do or do not have a subject coordinator, there are ways to consider these things throughout the course of production. Let's say even like before production begins, before you even start shooting and you just know that you want to work with a vulnerable population. A few things that I would consider in that stage is like, A therapist. Are you going to have a therapist on call? Are there safe words that you establish beforehand with subjects? Should they feel uncomfortable but not want to alert like a whole crew so that a director or producer can sort of like take them aside and be like, oh yeah, we're going to just take a break. Um, Establishing and dealing with areas that are off limits for subjects, basically boundary testing. And then like during production, is there a point person or a hotline to call if an issue arises? This can be like their mom or their sister, or it can be an actual therapist, but having someone who is like a safe person that they can connect with is amazing because it's like security. And then there's post-production. Maybe you need to talk about the timing of pre-screenings for subjects. Like when do they see themselves for the first time in the story? Um, Putting together those pre-screening experiences, like what are the expectations and support systems that you're gonna put into place for that experience? Like, do you want them to watch it with family members or with friends, or do you wanna just watch it with them, just you and them? I would say that questions around how you make that pre-screening or that screening really special are so powerful and important because I've seen it just go so wrong. Um, And then finally, sort of boundaries around relationships with the film production crew after production was done. Like, did people feel comfortable giving their numbers to the subjects? That was something that I experienced when I was a subject is that like I became friends with editors who were working on projects about me. It was great in some ways and in other ways it was really uncomfortable because I would then be introduced by that editor to someone else and say like, oh, this was the subject of this thing that I was working on and and sort of introduce me based on their experiences with my drama rather than like allowing me to sort of have that agency. And so like having those kinds of conversations are really important to have with crew uh, about like what that looks like and how do you introduce someone that you know through their trauma. Um, so those those are all conversations again that like most film productions don't really talk about at all until it's sort of too late. Um, how do you deal with negative press or publicity concerns? What about the presence of subjects at festival events? They're going to feel kind of famous. How do you prep them for that? Um, concerns around subjects, communities having access to the film, like people being afraid of, will people be able to use this against me? Like you should have an answer for that that's very clear and written out and concise because that way your, your subject will feel like you have taken care of them. And then the last thing is like long-term, let's say you've not had any sort of support at all with a subject coordinator. It's already, you know, been distributed. You can talk with the subject coordinator around what are the expectations for subjects? 
when all the hype dies away. Like there is a kind of vacuum and a grief and a loss. What is your responsibility to that person? Do you owe them your friendship? Or is it sort of like collaborations that sort of pass by and you don't really try to get in touch with them? But I think it's important to talk to a subject about what they can expect from you as a filmmaker. And it's vital for sort of long-term relationship management and also just like an internal sense of alignment that you're not just like abandoning someone, which I think a lot of other subjects have felt. Like once they stop being useful to a production, that's it. You're sort of being a responsible caretaker of that relationship. Yeah, it's something that's definitely not talked about enough. So I'm so glad that we have this conversation and are able to get it out to an audience of filmmakers. Me too. My favorite community, the VC community. <laughs> yeah, the best. Yeah. And hopefully change the culture around this a little bit, even if in a small way. Well, thank you so much again, Suki, for being on the podcast and opening up about your own experience. Yeah, and thank you for hosting it, for asking really thoughtful questions. And I will just say as a sort of asterisk to all of this, one of the things I have learned from my experiences is that no person is like bad or good. Sort of we're all very human and I hope that nothing that I have said or stories that I have shared uh, will be extrapolated and sort of used to blame anyone or like create guilt or shame for people who might not have been as thoughtful in the past, but I hope it's more of an opportunity to be as caring of human beings as we can be when we make these documentaries, when we tell these stories about other people, and when we explore these really difficult topics around pain. Mm. And I, I just, I really want to like undersign everything that I've said as like, you know, if you have messed up in the past, it's okay. We've all messed up. I've messed up. And I'm continuing to improve and continuing to get better. And all I can hope for is like, we all just sort of commit to ourselves to be better and to love harder and be more thoughtful. Thanks again, Suki. And I will put all of Suki's information in the show notes. And where else can people find you? Well, they can find me on VC, Instagram, Vimeo. Um, please email me. I'm, I would love actually to hear people's thoughts. And if anyone has like questions or concerns I'm like an open book and um, I've been helping to run VC's mentorship program and so like I just really love talking to people and if I can be of any help great or if something I said inspired you and you wanted to tell me about someone who was doing it really well then like amazing I'd love to hear that too Rough Cuts hosted and produced by Jenny Butler and Sky Dylan Robbins Abby Kittengor, Amy DiGiacomo, and Kaylee Fox-Shannon are our booking producers. Audrey Horowitz is our editor, and our original music is by Zach Wright. And this podcast is part of the Video Consortium, a global nonprofit media org that connects the world's nonfiction filmmakers and video journalists to tell bold stories that catalyze positive change. You can become a member and join our global community of nonfiction storytellers at videoconsortium.org. And if you like the show, you can follow us on Instagram at, at roughcutpodcast or leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. These are nonprofit endeavors with a mission to democratize the industry playing field for all. So if you want to support VC and this podcast, we would love if you'd head to videoconsortium.org to donate. 
Thanks for listening and see you next time.